It's my privilege and joy now to preach from God's Word, from God's Holy Word. This is His words to us. This is God speaking. So let us lean in as we continue in the section that was begun last week. I'm going to read verses 7 to 11, but we're going to focus on verses 10 to 11. Uh, Last week we looked at verses 7 through 9. Today we're doing kind of part two, life in the last days, part two. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we ask that you may bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we asked, how should we live in the last days? What should our life look like if it's the end of the world? And we saw that Peter wasn't saying it's literally the end of the world. He was saying we've entered into God's final chapter. The last thing on God's schedule before is for Christ to come back. And so at any moment, like a thief in the night, the Lord may return. And instead of going crazy and stockpiling food and building a bunker or creating a cult and going out into the middle of Australia or losing our heads, all that type of stuff... Peter's basic message last week we saw was keep calm and carry on. He implores us to normal Christian community. He told us to, it's the end of the world, therefore pray. It's the end of the world, therefore love one another. It's the end of the world, therefore eat. (laughs) It's surprisingly ordinary for such a high and lofty topic. And today, Peter continues with the fourth command. It's the end of the world, therefore, serve. Don't look inward, look outward. Don't seek self-preservation, but self-sacrifice for the good of others. And just now, we had the privilege of ordaining you six deacons into the role of official servants of the church. But that doesn't mean that (laughs) the rest of you is like, great, (laughs) fantastic. We now have deacons and they will do it all and we get off. That's not how the Bible works. That's not how God has ordered the church. No, serving is the glad calling of the whole church. Serving is the glad calling of the whole church. We don't have to play a part. We get to. As Christians, that's the joy. One of the joys of being a Christian is you get to serve, which is so counter cultural. You see, church is not a building, 
It's not even this service. Church is the gathering of God's people into a family. And church is more like a team sport than a solo sport. If you're a fan of golf, like I know one of our deacons is, Mr. uh, John Carr, he had his golf hat on today. Golf, you perfect your individual game. Every now and again, you play a team thing like Ambrose or match play or something like that. But more or less, golf is an individual sport. It's about you, your stroke, and getting getting it into the hole. Church is not like that. Church, Christianity which is where all Christians ought to be in a local church, is more like netball. You see, if you've ever played or watched netball, netball is a sport where you cannot dominate with a single star player. In basketball, you you could get away with having, you know, a a LeBron or a Michael Jordan or a Kobe or a John Hennessy in your team. And (laughs) and for those who are guests, John Hennessy is the tallest person in the room. Uh, But in netball... If you're the world's best player, you are completely dependent on the other people in your team. Because in netball, it's broken up into thirds, and certain people can't go into certain parts of the court. Only two people are allowed to score goals. Only two people are allowed in the defensive zone. So you completely depend on one another. And church is like that. God has ordained that the church is not a star-studded team with one or two people getting it done. It's a netball team with our little bibs and everything. Each one has a role, each one has a position, and each one plays their part. And thankfully, this church, Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta, is one heck of a netball team. I believe our church is specially marked by faithful service. We punch far above our weight. Every single one of you, serving skillfully and joyfully and sacrificially across the whole church. Often church ministers talk about the 80-20 principle, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That is not the case in our local church. No, we have everyone serving and playing their part in different ways. And as I prayed through the membership list this week, and I cast my eyes on every single name, just I have image and image and image and image of all of you playing various parts that you play, serving in sacrificial and joyful ways consistently, not just once-off bursts, but consistently. For three and a half years or three and a bit years, we've been serving together as a local body. Pictures of you guys serving in music and PA and projector, led by Henry, Matt and Sam. The events team, led by Prav and all the amazing things they do and all the hours you don't see behind the scenes. The great kids team we have, led by John and the room leaders, Nikki and Alana. Again, something that you might not see if you don't go into the underneath the church. The coffee team, faithfully led by Steph, keeping us powered. The stewards, led by Deacon Davin, also now now known apparently as Bacon. Um, So Deacon, Bacon, I don't know what that is, but let's call him Bacon. I like it. And if he could add Bacon to his usual stewarding, that would be great. But our stewards who make this happen each Sunday. To our janitors, the Kapoors, faithfully serving in so many ways. And the core team and their wives, as we disband the core team and and go forward, they have served so well. They're the formal areas of service. 
This doesn't even mention all the spontaneous ways in which you serve one another, the unofficial ways in life groups when you care for one another. You know, being at life group each week is serving because when you're there, your presence encourages people. You're ready to speak words of encouragement. Your presence matters at life group. You don't go to life group just for yourself. You're there to be a presence for others as well. And not the very least, your leaders, as you encourage them by being there. The way you guys make meals for each other, help each other move. We are a moving church. If you need to move, we are trained professionals. (laughs) Call upon us. In fact, I would happily put our church up against any church in the world. I would really say, this is, you want to know what it looks like to be a serving church? This is what it looks like. Not in boasting, but just this is reality. When I read the scriptures, I see you guys. When I was asked over a hundred times at the pastor's conference in the US recently, how's the church going? My most common response was, we are a faithful, joyful, servant-hearted church. You wouldn't believe what these guys do as servants. I boast in your serving, and I'm so grateful. It's such a privilege and so easy to pastor a church of people who are asking constantly, how can I serve? (laughs) You guys are marked by faithful and sacrificial service. It's actually one of the virtues that we we try to shape across all of our Sovereign Grace churches, to be servants like our Savior. Yet, the harder side of serving is that it's serving, (laughs) We do it so well, we do it so much, the temptation and the reality is is that we can get tired. Maybe you're feeling worn out. And perhaps if you're not careful, you forget why we're doing it. Because it's become our habit as a church, because it's our DNA, and because everyone else is doing it, we might lose the reason why we're doing it. And as a result, we can grow to get complacent. We can lose perspective, and if we don't watch out, And if we don't renew our minds in our serving, it's possible we can grow embittered, frustrated, disillusioned. And it can lead to a sense of, which is all too common, of burnout. I think this is amplified in our post-lockdown state of mind. And given the reality of indwelling sin in each one of us, the lure of the world, the lies of Satan... We should never rest in our strengths in this area as a church. We need constant help. We need constant encouragement and refreshment from God in this area. And God, in his kindness, has placed this passage here for us as our final message on 1 Peter for the year, tying in with our deacons as a reminder for us. You see, I brought this passage up not as a rebuke, For a lazy church, no, that is not the case. This is an encouragement and a reminder for a crazy church who serves her socks off. We need this passage because we need to be reminded of why we're doing it, what we're meant to be doing, and where we get the strength from. And so we're going to look at three points from this passage to renew our minds to serve for the glory of God. Firstly, point number one, our call to Serving, from verse 10. Our call to serving. Read verse 10 with me again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We see here that each and every one of us as a Christian is called 
and gifted to serve. When God shows us before time began and elected you unto salvation in Christ, when he chose you to place his grace upon you, he called you not only to be saved, but to serve as well. He poured out his Holy Spirit upon your dead heart. Once running away from God, now turn to him. And he made you a new creature. And as a new creature, you have new abilities. You have fresh power. You have a different perspective. And you have spiritual gifts. When we come to serving, we're not bringing just nothing with us. We're bringing the power of the Holy Spirit. We are saved to serve. Jesus made this clear through his life and through his teaching. Let me read Mark 10, 42 to 45, a well-known verse. And Jesus called them, that is, disciples, to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Peter wants you and I, he was there when he heard this, to be truly great. Truly great like Jesus. And true greatness is humble service. So let's break apart this verse just bit by bit and just be refreshed in it. Firstly, he says, as each has received a gift. The good news is, if you are a Christian, you have been given spiritual gift by the Holy Spirit. No one misses out. Uh, The word received there designates a completed action. You, as a Christian, have already received a gift from the Holy Spirit. What are these gifts? Well, Peter doesn't actually specify the whole list of gifts. There's different parts of the Bible which talk about different examples of the gifts of the Spirit, but they're not exhaustive. They're by way of example. And Peter here in verse 11 just mentions two broad categories of gifts that we could be given, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And in some ways, that's a pretty good catch-all term. When Peter says the one who speaks, speaks the oracles of God, he's not talking about formal pastoral ministry or preaching the word. The word there is designated for just general speech. So you may be given gifts of speech that you translate or take the good word of God, the oracles of God, and give them to people. This could be everything from preaching, teaching, to counseling, one-on-one evangelism, life group leading, what you say to one another while you drink coffee on a Sunday morning, prophecies like we've seen, exhortations, the gift of tongues, all of that would maybe fit under the realm of speaking. You may have a gift of speaking in one way or another, formal or informal, public or private. Secondly, he talks about serving gifts. Uh, This is not just the ministry of the deacons. They're not the only ones. It's the, although it is the same word, diakonos, it is broad playing music, making meals, cleaning up after church, pulling shots of coffee, cutting out paper dolls for SG kids at 11 a.m., roasting potatoes for church lunch, taking photos of the service, setting up chairs, 
creating the perfect sound mix. Any way in which you're serving the Lord and his people, you may have gifts in those areas. We all have a gift, serving or speaking or both. Next, he says, use it to serve one another. So if you look again, verse 10, use it to serve one another. Our gifts are given so that we will use them. Uh, they're not trophies. I got this great speaking gift, and I just pop that on the, you know, on the, on the, in the, what, the pool room, put it down in the pool room. No, they're to be used for the good of others. The New Testament knows only of communal Christianity, where the gifts of grace are tied to communities of grace. The gift you've been given is to be used, not just in the world or in your family, but to be used in the church. That's why he says, use it to serve one another. He's talking to churches and saying, serve one another, practically. Use your gifts to serve one another. Our gifts are not given so we can create a brand or build our ego. And they're not given for our identity either. I'm a healer. I'm a pastor. I'm a deacon. I'm a musician. They're given not for you, but for the good of others. A good test in this area would be to ask yourself, would you be okay if God took away your gifting? He no longer needed you to serve in that way, and so he removes the gifting. Would you be okay with that? Whether or not that's possible or going to happen, it's a good heart question. Or have you so tied your identity as a Christian to how you serve as a Christian that you've forgotten that you're a son or daughter of God first? It's not about who you are. It's about who you serve and whose you are. That's what's most important about you. So could you take a break from your, using your gift and just be, quote-unquote, nothing or no one within the church? Would that rock your world? No, we're, we're to use our gifts to serve one another, not to build ourselves up. So we all have a gift. They're given so that we can serve one another. And the last thing he says in verse 10 is we're to do it as good stewards of God's varied grace. So the gifts are varied, and the way in which we're to use them is as stewards. Now, in the ancient world, uh, you had lords and masters who often owned vast properties, had lots of servants, and one of their chief slaves would be put in charge of the running of the household, and they would be the chief steward, hence where we get the term from. Uh, the steward would look after everything from all the slaves, even to the education of the children, to the, the crops and the money, and would have vast amounts of authority. But they also had vast amounts of responsibility. They were there to serve on behalf of the master to progress the name and the household of that master. And Peter uses this common image, like you think of Joseph in Potiphar's house, if you know the story in Genesis. He uses this common idea to help us understand how we're meant to be as people who have gifts from God. Our gift is not primarily a privilege, but a responsibility. It is a privilege, but we have a responsibility in it also. We are stewards, not owners. Our gifts are given as a gift, and so we're managers of that gift, not entrepreneurs, if you know what I mean. 
Tom Schreiner says this, and I just somewhat quoted him, but I may as well give him credit. Spiritual gifts are not fundamentally a privilege, but a responsibility, a call to be faithful to what God has bestowed. And the fact that Peter says as good stewards implies that we can also be bad stewards. There is a degree of control which we have over our gifting. The Lord blesses us and enables us. Sometimes he animates a gift we already had before we were saved and then puts it to use for spiritual good. But we have control. We're stewards of it. We have responsibility over it. And so we can use it for good means or we can use it for bad means. That's why there's so many people that are incredibly gifted and get very successful in ministry, but they are bad stewards of the gift. They take the gift of preaching and charisma and leadership and use it to build an empire for themselves or to preach prosperity doctrines so that they get rich or to have authority over others. We are to be good stewards of the gifts we've been given. Imagine it's like, you know, at work you get a company car. The company car is given so that you can get from work to your workplaces and represent the company, make the company go forward, make money for the company. The company car most likely is not given so you can go drag racing or do donuts or anything like that, like Peter, my neighbor, does all the time um, in his beautiful cars, if you know Peter. Uh, no, the, the company car is used to advance the company. Same with the company laptop. It's not for ultimate Frisbee, okay? The, the laptop is to be used, stewarded well, so that the company goes forward. Well, it's the same with our gifts. God gives them to you. Steward them well. Use them to bless others. And this implies, too, that we ought to figure out how we can best serve with the gifts that we've been given. That we ought to seek training. We ought to seek feedback. Asking others, how could I serve more effectively? Um, it means that when the church runs various training events like SG Kids Nights and coffee training and equipped and, you know, 14 and all these things where there's opportunities for you to grow in your gifting, we don't just run these trainings because it's like something we should do or have to do. It, it, it's actually to help you put this verse into practice. You come along so you can be a better steward of the gift that God has given you. Okay, so see God's love for us as a church. God loves you, so he gave you a church of people that have gifts that you don't have to build you up and to serve you. And God loves you that he gave you the opportunity to be a part of that story to bless others. It's a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's so otherworldly, but so wonderful. And isn't God kind to us as a church with the many expressions of his grace? So we are, point one, we are called to serve, our calling to serve. But where do we get the power? In case you haven't noticed, serving isn't easy. Well, point two, our power in serving. Last Christmas, Jasper received a present. It was a DIY science kit where you were to make this little helicopter and it was solar powered. And for it to spin, it had to be charged up by the sun. The only way the rotor would go is if it had, you know, the sun going on it, and it was very ineffective, and the solar panels weren't very good, so it was pretty lame. We're just like that. We are solar-powered. We have to look to the sun, to God, to get our power to serve. That is the way God has designed it. Any other way, you stay in the dark, you will not be able to serve for God's glory. And that's exactly what Peter is saying in verse 11. 
Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. He's making it clear. Where do the oracles of God come from? They come from God. So to be able to speak oracles, you need God to give them to you. Whoever serves as one who God serves by the strength that God supplies. Where does the power come from? It comes from God as well. Therefore, in all our speaking and all our serving, we are to look to God to supply the power. It's simple but often overlooked. Dr. Edmund Clowney in his commentary says this, Peter's exhortation is no less needed for service than for teaching. Christians may be more tempted to undertake diaconal service in their own strength. They may agree that the ministry of the word needs special grace, but waiting on tables, collecting money, or caring for the sick is just a matter of rolling up one's sleeves and getting the job done. Not so. If God is to be glorified by ministry in his name, it must be performed in his strength. And this is a relief, is it not? The demands on your life as a Christian are huge. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. We're called to be servants, not lords. But we don't have to have the power. We don't have to muster it up. We don't have to have 24 coffees. That's not where we get our strength from. We get our strength from looking to God. He never intended you to do it on your own. He wouldn't do that to you. Because he knows you. <laughs> he knows that you are dust. He knows that you're limited. He knows that you're weak. And so he says, if I'm going to call you to do it, I'm going to supply you with the strength to do it. I want to highlight two dangers of not seeking our power from God. Firstly, if we do it in our own strength, we'll likely be prone either to pride or despair. See, if we think our serving is about us and our gifting and our creativity and our oratory ability or our energy and able to do things, if it goes well, well, we'll be stoked and we'll puff out our chest and we'll be tempted to pride. But if it goes poorly, we'll be tempted to despair, which is a different species of the same root, which is pride. Pride and despair will go with you if you serve in your own strength because then it's all about you and what you can do and how you've failed or how you've succeeded. Secondly, if we do it in our own strength, power and creativity, over a period of time, you will surely but slowly start to leak. Your energy will be sapped by sin and circumstance. Where you started off with excitement will turn to weariness and then dread. And if you keep pulling up your own bootstraps by yourself to be a good Christian servant and a good member of Sovereign Grace Parramatta, over time you'll grow weary and you may even burn out. I don't want that for you. I don't want pride or despair. I don't want burnout. And I think these dangers are rooted in an inability to realize our own limits and need. If you're prone to doing either of these, you probably haven't actually realized how lacking you are in and of yourself. You haven't understood that the only way you can bear spiritual fruit is by spiritual strength. For a time, you may be able to reap success in the flesh, but to actually make things happen for the glory of God, you need God's power. 
And if we need any convincing of our limits as human beings, just consider how much you need sleep. C.J. Mahaney says this, Sleep for me is a daily reminder that I am far from self-sufficient. Let me put it this way. I have a desperate, irreversible, psychological need to spend a substantial portion of every 24 hours in a state of mental and physical incapacity. Utterly helpless and completely useless. Is this not comical? (laughs) If we're tempted to any sense of, I can do this, just video yourself at night and realize that for eight hours, you can't do anything. (laughs) It's comical to think that we could produce spiritual fruit in our own strength. No, we need the Lord. We are solar-powered. And by his grace, he will give us the strength to do what he's calling us to do. So we're called to serve. We're empowered to serve. And finally, what's our purpose in serving? Why do we do it? Why give your life away for it? Well, verse 11 continues to say, Whoever speaks, whoever serves, is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God gives us both the gifts and the power to use them so that in the end he gets all the glory. God gives us the gifts and the power to do it so that in the end he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. There's not much we can pat ourselves on the back for. Instead, we ought to always be thinking, this was all you, Lord. This was all you. I couldn't do it on my own. It's all from him, and therefore, it's all for him. And that's why Peter finishes verse 11 and says, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We serve for the glory of God because God owns all the glory. We get to play a part, a joyful part, but we must decrease, he must increase. The whole reason we serve is to glorify him so that people will see just how great he is, just so people see how merciful he is, so that people will see behind every act of service is a loving heavenly father who sent this servant out of an expression of his love. That's how it works. We're channels of his grace. And therefore, the glory goes back through us and up unto him. Psalm 115 verse 1 ought to be our cry and may be the cry of you deacons. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We want his name to go forward. That's why we serve. Christian serving is glad serving because in our serving, God is greatly glorified. And this has a liberating effect on our serving, does it not? It's not about your performance in the end. It's not even about the results in the end. It's about the Lord. Instead of worrying so much about how good we are, or effective we are, if people noticed or any of that, we should be caught up with thinking, how can I best glorify God? How can I make God look great? How can I be an expression of God's love to this person? And the eyes come off ourselves and onto God, and hopefully for the people we serve, the same happens. And if people do notice you serving and they thank you, you don't have to minimize that. You don't have to say, oh, it was nothing. No, you served. It was sacrificial. 
You can thank them for their encouragement and then transfer the glory to God, whether verbally or you can just thank them and then transfer it in your heart. You say, Lord, this was only by your grace. I only did this by the strength that you supplied. I only said that by the oracle that you gave me. And so even if we are recognizing our service, no, we, we transfer it all back to God so that he is glorified. Because we've got to remember our limits. If it was left up to us on our own, we couldn't have done that. We couldn't have done it in a way that would glorify God. It would become about us, and it's draining. So we serve that God is glorified. I want to give just a few concluding points of application. Firstly, friends, as you do so well, seek to serve. It's your calling. God has given you a gift, and so find ways to get involved in this grand game and start playing your part. You might be wing attack, goal defense, water boy, water girl. <laughs> Don't be so worried about what is your spiritual gift. Uh, that's why Peter doesn't like expressly say it's this or that or that. Just, just get in the game and ask, how can I serve? Where can I serve? Start serving and you'll start to see where people are most blessed. Don't wait for the deacons to tell you to do something or your pastors to tell you. Just be on the constant prowl, thinking, how can I serve? Who can I serve? Where can I serve? What needs to be done? Like you do so well. There's a joy and wonder in our serving. We get to do great things for God. But Jesus said to his disciples after they returned from their, one of their missionary journeys and they were able to cast out demons and heal, and the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said, that's great. I've seen Satan fall from heaven. That is good. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The greatest thing about you is not how you serve. It's who you serve. And so don't rejoice so much in that you get to have roles and do things. Rejoice in the one who saved you. So seek to serve as you are. And if you're new, seek to serve and join in the team. Secondly, seek power. Don't try and do it on your own. You are solar powered. When you move the little things away from the sun, you will dry up and have nothing to give. You will burn out and I do not want that. So before coming to life group, before coffee, as you're chatting with someone, as someone starts sharing something that's hard, if you're teaching in something or leading in exhortation or coming up to prophesy, start praying. Lord, help me to speak. May you give me the words to say. If you're serving in any way in the church, whether it's vacuuming, cutting out things for craft, laying out morning tea, don't think for a second that you can do this in your own strength. Yes, physically you can probably do it. But spiritually, you need strength to do it for the glory of God. And so be praying as you're vacuuming. God, help me to do this. <laughs> help me to do this with a happy heart. Help me to do this for your glory. If you're really tired in serving, it may be that you need a physical break. But it may also be that you need spiritual power. And perhaps you've cut yourself off from the means of grace. And maybe instead of taking a break, you need to take some time with the Lord and ask him to fill you afresh with power to serve. Taking time out is helpful, but it won't restore your soul. 
Only the gospel does that. And so you need to remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you to find inner renewal to serve. And finally, in your serving, seek his glory. Keep transferring. Keep transferring. Not in a way that's false humility, thinking like, yeah, I was epic, um, but I better give glory to God. No, no. Think, wow, that was actually good. I'm surprised. (laughs) But praise God that that happened. Praise God you were served and genuinely believe that without his help, you couldn't do it. Keep seeking God's glory and you'll have power. Because the thing that you were born again for is to enjoy God. And so as you seek God to serve, you'll actually find a replenishing well in your heart. Because as people see God, you'll be satisfied. So friends, it's the end of the world. Keep calm and carry on and serve. And continue to do it as you do it so well. Whether you're a deacon, in kids, on music, or so sick that all you can do is pray in private and no one will ever know. Play your part and do it all for his glory. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.